0: All right, well, today we're in the third and final week of our series, Unique, and here's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about some of the unique aspects of our faith, of our Christian faith, and what sets apart our faith from the pattern of the world around us, the philosophy of the world around us, the religions of the world around us, the way we think in the world around us, the way the world has taught us to believe and to think and to operate and to live. And so what we've been saying is there is something to be unique. To be unique is to have something that separates you from the pattern of everything and everyone around you, something different about the way you think, something different about the way you believe, something different about what you believe or whom you believe, something different about the way that you live, and so from the beginning of this series, we talked about three, the, two really unique ideas, and take one to hit the third. The first one was was that we talked about that you were created on purpose for a purpose, that we believe in a unique creation, a uniquely created version of humanity, that we were created by God on purpose and for a purpose. And then last week, we talked about a unique approach to peace, that while the world and the philosophies and the religions of the world have taught us that in order for us to have peace, we need to remove all stress and remove all conflict, what we know to be true of life is that that really isn't truly possible but what is possible with God is that we were that we have peace and we have peace even in the middle of difficult situations and difficult circumstances because peace is not re, is not conditional peace with god is not conditional on the absence of conflict but peace is found in the presence of god and that god has a table for us right in the middle of all the conflict and stress of life and we can know his peace when we know him and we know his presence because we sit at the table that he has created and prepared for us now today as we jump into the text we're going to jump right into the text because this text actually instead of having kind of one big thing that that it drives towards where there's a really unique thing that's shown in this text. As we look to this example of something that Jesus did, one of the miracles that Jesus performed, there are actually three really unique things that we see about the way Jesus interacted with people, the way Jesus interacted with people's hurt and Jesus was very real pain, both emotionally and physically, the way that Jesus reacted and responded to people's um, difficult circumstances and difficult situations and desperation. What we're going to see is there's something unique about the way Jesus operated with and interacted with the, with these people in their in their time of pain. But there's also something unique that Jesus two really unique things that Jesus claimed about himself in the midst of this interaction with this person. So we're gonna begin in John chapter five. John is one of Jesus' disciples. John was an eyewitness. John describes himself as someone who saw it with his own eyes, someone whom Jesus loved. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Among that, he was one of the inner circle of three. He described himself as the one that Jesus loved. He was like, I was there when it all went down. I heard everything he said. I saw everything he did. I was never apart from Jesus, and this is how it went down. In John chapter 5, verse 1, we're told this. After this, this is after the second miracle that John records of Jesus' seven miracles that he performed, his miraculous signs. Verse 1 says, after this, after the second miracle, sometime after, not necessarily right away, but sometime after this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, here's some context. We have to wonder why are disabled people hanging around this one particular area near the temple, near this particular pool? Now, there was a legend. This This is why. There was a legend, true or not, that every day or every week at some point, there was an angel that visited this particular pool and stirred the waters of this particular pool. And when the waters were stirred by this angel, there was miraculous power to heal that was found in this water. And so the belief was that if a blind or a lame or a paralyzed person was able to know when the water was stirred and make their way into the water, they had the possibility they could be healed of their blindness, their lameness, their paralyzation. Now, Now, I don't don't want to sound cruel as I say this, but this sounds like a bad system, does it not? Like, because here's what it relies on. Blind people can't see when the water is stirred, but they can maneuver and walk and get themselves into the water. The lame and the paralyzed, they can see if the water was stirred, but they can't walk or maneuver themselves to get themselves there. So you have this terrible honor system where the people who can see If they're honest about what they can see happening, they have virtually no chance of actually getting there before the people who can't see, but they can walk. I mean, this is a terrible system. Imagine being lame or paralyzed in this system and you see the waters stirring and you're like, hey, the waters are stirring. And you have no potential outside of a friend being with you, but no one was friends with the lame and the paralyzed other than lame paralyzed people who were sitting there as well. They're there, and they can see the the opportunity for healing. They can see the potential for healing. They can see the thing that may just be the answer to the prayers that they have prayed for years and years and years and years. They can see it, but they can't get close to it. And what they see, if they announce it, other people are going to get there far faster than they can get there. And so the healing that they think belongs to them because they can see if someone's going to get healed that day, if there's the potential for healing, if there's the power for healing, someone else is going to beat them to it if they're honest about what they see. And so that's what happened. That's the backstory. That's where these people are, these lame and paralyzed and blind people that are at this pool. They are there because they believe the pool has the potential for healing, but the chances that they actually see it and can obtain it are incredibly small. So verse five, it says this, one man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. Now, again, I recently turned 40. This would mean that for basically my entire life, if you're 38 right now, for 38 years, if you're 76, for two of your, for half of your lifetime, this person had been disabled, could not walk. We don't know if he was fully paralyzed. We don't know if he was lame and couldn't walk, but he could not walk. He was disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, And realized he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to get well? Now this, again, like when I say Jesus interacts with this in a a really unique way, this is part of what I'm talking about. This sounds like a really insulting question, does it not? Like this person who is laying near the source of healing, laying near what he believes to be the potential for his healing do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? At the very least, it's a bit condescending, right? This would be like if you met a person who had been diagnosed with cancer, and they asked you to pray for them, and you ask, well, do you want me to pray that you'd be healed and not have cancer anymore? Like, of course that's what you pray for. Like, like are you kidding? That's what people pray for when someone has cancer. See, Jesus sees someone who cannot walk, and do, do you want to get well? I mean, it's the equivalent of asking, like, well, do you want me to pray that you would actually be healed? Like, of course, that's what, what we ask. Or if you had a family member who needed a kidney transplant because of kidney failure, and you ask them, "Do you actually want to get better? Like, do you want your kidneys to function?" It's almost an insulting question to even ask. Like, who? Are you kidding? Of course, I want that. But here's the un- uncomfortable truth. Time. Here's the uncomfortable truth that Jesus was acknowledging here. And man, I, I know, even as I say this, this is stepping into delicate territory. But we need to acknowledge this uncomfortable truth that there are people who do not want to get well. There are people who do not want to get well, not necessarily physically, but maybe physically as well. But you and I know there are people in life who have built an entire life and entire identity around being unwell and being made well would mean changing absolutely everything about their life and their personality and their career and the way they interact with their family and the way they interact with strangers. Like there are people who, if they were to be made well, it wouldn't just be that they would physically or emotionally or spiritually be, be restored. It would the, their their unwellness has impacted everything about their lives, has shaped their identity to such an extent that to be made well would be incredibly uncomfortable because they've grown very comfortable being unwell. Just to talk about this is spiritually, there are people who would rather remain dead in their sin than find new life in Jesus because finding new life would mean change from their habits habits and their patterns of behavior. Emotionally, there are people who would rather stay driven by and controlled by their emotions rather than find self-control because being driven by and controlled by their emotions is all they have known for the last 30 years of their life. Relationally, You know, we're going to talk about this in our family circus series starting next week, but there are some of us who will stay on an insane crazy cycle in the way we do family relationships instead of make change. Because while we know it's crazy, the crazy has become our normal and our normal is more comfortable while healthy would be hard. Okay. And so Jesus sees this man who's been paralyzed for a long time. He has not been able to walk for 38 years, which means he has not been able to work for 38 years for this man being healed by jesus would mean he would need to find a job now he would need to find a vocation it would no longer be okay for him to sit as a beggar not only would he be healed but his identity and the way people viewed him and what would be expected of him and what he would be expected of in society and what his family would require from him everything would change if he was to be made well. And so Jesus' question acknowledges the reality that there are some people who do not want to be made well and acknowledges the reality. And this is what's, I think, so beautiful about Jesus. The, the all-powerful God come to earth as the son of God is that Jesus would not force healing on someone who did not want to be well. And I don't know about you, but I actually find comfort in that. It's, it's why we say so often, Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus doesn't, leave, doesn't want to leave us where we are. But if we don't want to walk with Jesus into being somewhere different than where we are, Jesus will meet us where we are and will allow us to stay there if we want to. He will not force us to get he- to, be, to experience healing and well-being if we do not want healing and well-being. Jesus is a gentleman, and he will not force us into something that he has for us that we do not want to walk into. And if that's different than the picture that you you have of God or the way the Holy Spirit operates or the way Jesus operates because a church has, has pushed you and cajoled you and forced you into things that you were not ready for or forced you to move at a pace that you were not ready for, I'm just telling you, Jesus is better than religion. Jesus is better than the family you grew up in. Jesus will not force anything on you. Jesus asks, do you want to be made well? Because Jesus will not force anything on anyone. And so then it goes on in verse seven. The man replied, sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Translation, hey, Jesus, like, Do do I want to get well? I've been trying. I've been doing everything I know to do, and it hasn't happened for me. Like, my situation has not allowed, like, I see the healing. I, I got close, I've gotten as close as I could get to the source of healing. And I can see it. But when I can see it, someone else can move a whole lot faster than I can because of my condition. But yeah, you want to know if I want to get well? I want to get well. Verse 8, here's what happens. This is so unique, how Jesus interacts and how Jesus operates with this man. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now, here's why I say this is so unique. Here's a really fun and interesting question. If you want to go somewhere, if you want to go to a coffee shop with someone, if you if you if, if you're at your home and you're eating lunch with someone or eating breakfast with someone, and you're over your pancakes or over your burgers. Here's a, here's a fun question to discuss. Did Jesus heal this man? Like like did Jesus heal this man? Let me read the, let me read it. What Jesus did again? Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. And then instantly, the man got well. Picked up his mat. And started to walk did Jesus do anything special for this man did Jesus lay his hands on the man's ankles and knees did Jesus lay his hands on his head and say you get well and say abracadabra and use a potion and use you know, a, a magic spell like I mean like again this isn't what Jesus ever does but this is so often what we think works and how we think change and how we think miracles happen and but did Jesus really heal this person the first answer would be yes And the answer is yes, because Jesus' miraculous power is so unique that with just a word, with a simple command, without laying a finger on the man, Jesus didn't put his hands on the man's ankles and knees to make them strong. Jesus didn't make mud with his spit. Jesus didn't carry the man to the water. Jesus can heal with a word. And again, if you want to know something that makes Jesus unique, Jesus can heal with a word. He absolutely can. Jesus can heal with the word. That's how powerful and how strong Jesus is. And by the way, this is where most scholars land. And this is certainly where John seems to land as he calls it Jesus' third miraculous sign. But there is another possibility that I think is just as amazing and just as beautiful. The second answer isn't necessarily no. It isn't necessarily no, Jesus didn't heal him, but it takes into account that Jesus didn't actually really do anything other than speak. It, it, like, he, he didn't really, he didn't, he didn't really, he didn't, again, he didn't lay hands on him. He didn't make a concoction of his mud and spit and put it on his, on his, on his body where, where the, in the affected area. Like, he didn't do that. It takes, it notices what Jesus did do. And what Jesus did do was to call out strength that the man didn't realize that he had been given. Jesus says, stand up to a man who hasn't been able to stand in 38 years. And while that in the moment sounded like probably sounded incredibly uncompassionate, stand up, get away from, me. I haven't been able to stand in 38 years. How dare you tell me to stand? This man chose to believe that somehow because Jesus had spoken, he had strength that he didn't know he had. And so here's the picture. Jesus performed a miracle and gave the man strength that he didn't know he had. But at the same time, Jesus didn't pick up the man, right? The man had to make a conscious choice to attempt to stand when he didn't know if he had the strength to stand because Jesus had called him to stand. And here's the unique idea of strength for today. This is the first really unique idea here today. Jesus is calling strength out of you that you may not realize that he's already given to you. As we look to this story, it's possible that you are represented in this story because i think most of us are represented in the story by the lame man, the paralyzed man, the disabled man who has sat in our weakness for so long and when jesus comes he doesn't make he doesn't make us strong in a way where he picks us up and where he puts us in the pool and he does this thing and he you know hits us on the head and he hits us in the stomach and he pats us on the butt and says you get after it like he doesn't do anything tangibly that makes us go, oh, now I know. What Jesus does that's so unique in this moment is he calls strength out of the man that the man didn't realize that Jesus had actually, there was, again, there was no physical sign until he stood up, there was no physical sign that he had received any strength at all other than the fact that Jesus had called it out of him. And for some of us today, we need to realize that what Jesus is doing in this very moment in our lives is that Jesus, even maybe through these words right now, is calling strength out of you that you don't realize that God has already given to you. See, here's why this matters so much and what makes this so unique. We live in a world where, I mean, for as long as I've lived, and I feel like this actually seems to be accelerating more and more, where in order to move forward, in order to heal, in order to grow, we always tend to think that someone else always has to do something or teach us something or show us something or do something for us or change in order for, something has to change in order to help us move forward. In other words, like like we live as if, as if something else is always responsible for our growth, that we need Jesus to do something so extraordinary in order for us to move forward. We need Jesus to give us a strength that we've never had before. We need Jesus to give us peace that we've never had before. We need Jesus to give us life and wisdom and all this stuff that we've never had before. Because... Someone always has to do something in order for us to grow and heal and change and move forward. Our growth, our change, our healing, our strength, our wisdom, it always depends on what someone else is doing. And that's a really uncomfortable truth, but let's be honest, that's the way that the world around us tells us to live. That's the way, if, When you jump on Twitter, there are a million accounts that are pointing the direction of the, this is the blame for that and this is the blame for this and this is the blame for that and, the, and these abusers are the, are the problem with this and here's the thing abuse is a problem, there's a whole bunch of problems in our world because of sin, all our systems are broken all our systems are broken like, all, all, all relationships outside of Jesus are, are, are broken and, and because of that It's so easy for us to look at other people and look at systems and look at governments and look at education and think this is the problem, that's 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 the problem. And we have a million different problems in the world and we do have a million different problems in the world. The problem is when we think that that something else is always the problem, We actually give up responsibility for standing in our strength when we live in such a way that we go, well, the system needs to change. They need to apologize. In order for me to move forward, they need to take responsibility for what they did to me. A counselor needs to, a doctor needs to, a surgeon needs to, a therapist needs to, a teacher needs to blank, a mentor needs to blank, a financial advisor needs to do this for me. And here's a really uncomfortable truth in the face of that so common way of life. When your problems are always someone else's fault, your solutions are always someone else's responsibility. When your problems are always someone else's fault, your solutions are always someone else's responsibility. And I know right now, whether it's in person or online, I'm getting absolutely no amens and no applause on that comment, but it's 100% true. Because something can be uncomfortable and true at the exact same time. When your problems are always someone else's fault, your solutions are always someone else's responsibility. And if you approach life and faith and connection to God this way, the areas where we fall short and the areas we need healing and the areas we need to grow, eventually, because you're unsatisfied with the pace of your growth and frustrated with your continued failure, eventually you'll blame God because at the end of the day, it must be someone's fault. And if it's no one else's fault, God could have and God didn't. So it's God's fault. God's to blame. And so you'll start to think, well, I can't beat this temptation. I guess God failed to give me the strength that I need. I can't face, that, face up to that situation. I guess God failed to give me the courage for that. I keep struggling as a parent. I guess God didn't give me what I need in order to be the parent that I feel like I'm supposed to be. I keep making terrible choices. Well, I guess God didn't give me the wisdom that I need. But here's what Jesus did for the man and here's what Jesus does for us today. Jesus has given us strength that we don't know that we have, wisdom that we don't always live from, peace that we don't always experience, healing that we still need to flesh out and freedom that we need to figure out how to live in. And then here's the amazing thing. Since he's already given it to us, Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, I'm going to give you more of that. He says, I'm now calling you to stand in the strength I've already given you and to choose and to live at peace and to live free and to live healed and to choose in the with the wisdom that has already been given to you. This is unique to Jesus. In a world telling you that someone else has to be strong for you in order for you to move forward, Jesus says, I have given you everything that you need and now it's your turn to live as if what I've given you is enough. God has given you all the strength you need to fight and overcome temptation. For some of us, your prayer life needs to change. Your prayer is every time you fail and fall to temptation, you go, God, would you just give me strength so that I don't do this again? And God's already given you all the strength that you need and your prayer needs to change to, to be, you know, God, would you help me to realize and stand in the strength that you have already given to me? So you instead of thinking that God hasn't given you the courage to face the situation that you have, God has given you all the courage you need to face that situation. Your prayer needs to pr- change from "God, give me courage" to "God, help me understand and live from the courage that you've already given me." God, like God, I you know, like whatever I feel like I need to be a parent that you want me to be. It's not. Hey, God, would you give me more strength and more wisdom and more peace and more whatever it is, more patience, probably more patience, but God, more patience, more like, God, would you help me to live out of the patience you've already given me, that you have given me enough to be the parent that you've called me to be. So would you help me to live as if I can be everything that you call called me to be because you've already given me everything I need. God has given you all the wisdom that you need to make the choices that grow you and help you shape you to be more and more the person that God wants you to be. And now he calls you to stand and to live out of his strength in you. That's what God calls you to do. And that's incredibly unique in a world that wants to point the finger and wants to say more, 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 more. I need more, 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 more. I need more, 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 more. Jesus, I've given you enough and now I call you to stand in what I have already done for you and what I've already given to you. Now, if that wasn't enough from this story, and, it, and it, trust me, that that's enough. We, we, could just, we could just end here. But if that wasn't enough, this then turns into a moment and an opportunity for Jesus to do a few more unique things, to, to share some more unique things about himself. And going in, in, in the verses that follow this, now that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath, the law prohibits you from picking up your mat, which I mean, can you imagine the gall of people to complain to a just-healed man about him picking up his mat? Now, some of you, you've been around some religious people, and you absolutely can't imagine that. You're like, yeah, I I can picture that. I, 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 I know... I know my aunt would. I know my, my, my papa would. I know, I know my granddaddy would. I know that 20-year-old, he's been really religious. Like, I know they would. You know some religious people who absolutely would complain about the person who was just healed by the strength and power of Jesus who's not fitting their religious system. And so in verse 11, he replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Well, who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked, because in their translation... Surely this man can't be any good or he wouldn't have told you to break our tradition. Again, not not break our law, break our tradition. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Jesus is apparently pretty slippery to find after a miracle, okay? After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. I love that. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, again, we, we're like, okay, wait, wait, wait. We all have, have problem beef with the people who are like, we have a problem that you're holding your mat when you know it's a Sabbath and you're not supposed to hold your mat on a Sabbath. But I gotta say, I got beef with the guy who knows these guys will have a problem with the person who said to pick up his mat and walk. And the second he finds out who told him to pick up his mat and walk, he runs back to those people like, it was Jesus. It was, I, that's the guy, it's not my fault. I was just doing what I was told, but he's the, he's the problem. I mean, sure, he healed me, but he's the problem with the whole religious thing. But Jesus, if you notice, Jesus also hanging around and it's as if he wanted this to become something bigger and to become, to become something about something greater. So in verse 17, Jesus responded to them, my father is still working. It may be a Sabbath, but my father is not stopped working. My father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, listen to this, making himself equal to God. You want to know what was unique about Jesus About, you, about Jesus while he was on the earth? Jesus claimed that he and God the Father were one and the same. That's the way John read it. That's the way the Pharisees and the religious leaders understood it. That's the way this man who was just healed, everyone who saw this and everyone who saw the interaction that he was about to have with these people, everyone who saw who heard what Jesus had just said, that's exactly the way, the way the way they took it. If you ever hear someone say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, it means they have not read John 5 because what Jesus said and what everyone understood it to mean was that he made himself equal to God. Jesus, in other words, Jesus didn't claim to be good. Jesus didn't claim to be better. Jesus didn't claim to be a good man. Jesus claimed to be a God man. Jesus healed, but he didn't claim to be a healer. Jesus taught, but Jesus didn't claim to be a teacher. Jesus prophesied, but Jesus claimed to be a prophet. Jesus claimed about himself that he was in lockstep with God. The same as God. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, your heavenly Father. Jesus claimed that to know Him was to know God the Father. Jesus claimed that what we saw in Him is what's true of God, our heavenly Father. And here's the thing about that there's been a very, very, very few people in the history of the world. There are some. This isn't a unique claim to Jesus. There have been some who claimed to be God. And what history has shown about every single one of them outside of Jesus is that those people were all crazy people. Because if you're going to make that claim, you better be right or you go down in history as a crazy person. Jesus is the one person who claimed that about himself who has not gone down as a crazy person. People would rather try to wipe Jesus off the pages of history than try to prove that Jesus was crazy because after he claimed to be God, he predicted his own death and resurrection and then he pulled it off. When someone predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, that's a unique accomplishment in history and it legitimizes everything else that seemed so crazy when they said it. So you go, well, he claimed to be God and that seemed crazy. But it also seemed crazy when he predicted his own death and resurrection. And then he pulled it. I mean, maybe maybe he was the son of God. Maybe he's not so crazy. Maybe he actually did defeat sin. Maybe he actually did come from God to show us what God is like, to help us understand what our heavenly father is like and how to have a relationship with him so that we can know God forever by putting our trust in his son. I mean, like maybe that's as simple as it is. Maybe this this thing that sounded so crazy when he said it, it's not so crazy in light of what he did after he said it and what he had done before he said it, when he returned life, to this man, it's unique, it's unique, but it's true. If that wasn't enough, Jesus made one more claim about himself and his connection with God. In verse 19, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. Uh, Whatever I'm doing, whatever you see me doing, it's because that's what God would be doing in this exact situation. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to whom he wants. Final unique claim about Jesus from the lips of Jesus. Jesus claimed that he could and he would raise the dead to new life. I mean, again, no one else in history has claimed that they could, and no one else has dared to prophesy and to announce that they actually would raise the dead to new life. No one else has ever claimed it. No one else has ever done it on purpose. That is an only Jesus thing. And this is the simple end as we move to the close today. Only Jesus has the power to raise you from death to life. It's unique to Jesus. On this, on, the, on this Sunday, September 3rd, only Jesus has the power to raise you from death to life. This is why when Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, And when on the way to raise Lazarus from the dead, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is what Jesus was talking about, that because he's the way, he's the way to life. Because he's the truth, he's the truth that leads us to life. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the life, and when we trust in him, we find life. Because he's the resurrection, he can bring us to life. Because he is the life, he has life for us that nothing and no one else has. And the simple truth is this, as we close out this series, and this is what makes following Jesus so unique by putting, putting our, 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 connecting to God, by putting our trust in Jesus. The simple truth is this, as we close out this series, is that when we find Jesus, we find life. Life is found in no one else. Life is found in nothing else. Temporary p- happiness is found in a whole lot of things. Life that lasts forever and life that satisfies in the here and now, it is only Found in Jesus. And that's unique in all creation and in all religion and in all philosophy and in all thought. And when we find Jesus, we find life. And here's what's so amazing about that. When we find Jesus' new life, we find that Jesus has everything that we need and he has abundantly more than we need. More than we ask, more than we imagine, more than we want, more than we dare to believe is possible. He has abundantly more than we need. He has the wisdom we need. He has the strength that we need, the courage we need, the the peace that we need, the love that we need, the life. He has everything we need. And it's found in him when we trust in him, because only Jesus has the power to bring the dead to life. And the reason you need to know that, right? The reason that I need to know that is apart from Jesus, we're all dead in our sin. We're all dead in our trespasses. We're all dead in the things that we've done while we are running away from God. We're all dead in all of that. Which means if you're away from Jesus right now, you, unfortunately, are dead. See, sin doesn't make you bad. Your mistakes don't make you bad. They make you human. But they also make you dead. They don't make you bad. They make you dead. In your sin, you are dead. But in Jesus, we find new life. Jesus said, He would be the one who could and would raise the dead to life because he and the father are one and what the father wants to do, he will do through his son. And he accomplished it through his son's death on the cross when he paid the price for your sin and my sin. And he did it through his son when he raised his son from the dead so that his son could raise more to life. That is unique in all creation, in all religion, in all philosophy, in all human thinking, that there is a God who loves you so much that he's willingly sent his son to die for you in place of your death, in place of your spiritual death. And he raised him to new life as a way to offer you new life and a new connection with him. It's unique. And that's what our God is. And that's who our God is. He is unique, unique, He is better, he is superior, and he is supreme above all. And today, you can make a decision to know him in a moment that will impact you for the rest of your life and for your eternal life. If you pray to accept Jesus as your savior and Jesus as your Lord. And I hope you'll do that today. If you've never done that before, or if you did that once when you were a child and you did it another time when you were a teenager, but you've been walking away for the last 15 years, I pray that you'll make that decision today and you can do it right now as we close in prayer. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you for Jesus for us. Thank you that we can know you because we know Jesus. And thank you that we can know you because of what Jesus has done for us when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead. And we can know that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, the only way to to our Heavenly Father. He is the gate. He is the path. He is the walkway to you. And so God, thank you that we find life when we find Jesus. And when we find Jesus, we find strength that we didn't know we have. We find peace that we didn't know we have. We find joy that we didn't know was possible. We find wisdom that we didn't know that we could possess. And it's all ours when we find Jesus, because when we find Jesus, we find new life. And when we find new life, we find that Jesus has been responsible for it all along, and that only he can raise the dead in us to new life. So God, I pray today that if there's anyone watching who has not trusted you for salvation, we would trust you for, our, for salvation. God, I pray if there's anyone watching today who like Jesus asked, do you wanna be made well? If there's anyone watching today who the honest answer to that question for them has been, I'm not sure. I pray that they would today dig deep down to the, to the barrel of that, into the barrel of that question and find out why they don't wanna be made well and, and come to a place where they've dug through all of what's become comfortable and normal for them and decide that they want something better and they want new life in you. And I pray today you would meet them at the bottom of that barrel and you would meet them with, with healing power in Jesus' name. And so God, I pray that today, because out of these words, out of this message, out of this scripture, out of your word, God, you would do something in our hearts and lives that calls strength out of us and causes us to live in a way that follows you and finds you. And as we find you, we find new life and everything that you have for us. We just ask that you would do that. We thank you so much that you are a unique God, a unique Lord, a unique savior with a unique plan and a unique purpose for every single one of us. Thank you so much for that. We love you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.